let's get ready to study God's Word. to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study today. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to study together, and we ask that you'll grant unto us wisdom and understanding as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's devotional study title is Don't Overlook Nuance. Don't Overlook Nuance. And the passage that we're going to look at, the verses we're going to look at, Come to us from Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, this is an interesting passage, back-to-back verses that appear completely contradictory. In the first one, Solomon says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, you're going to be like him, right? That's what, when they talk about you getting into an argument, don't wrestle with a pig because you'll both end up muddy. Here is guidance that says, when someone is being foolish, don't stoop down to their level because then you'll be just like them. You're not going to elevate them by being like them. But then in the verse that follows, immediately he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So now he's saying, you can't always let a foolish person go unchecked. You can't always let people who are prone to foolishness just continue to spout foolishness without opposition because then they, they get bolder. They become more emboldened in that foolish course. So you sometimes have to put a check on them. Now, people have a tendency when they're dealing with scripture to verses against each other, right? So if I was trying to prove a particular thing, I would point to one of these verses, but not the other. Of course, it's hard in this case because the verses are right next to each other. But consider how many different things in Scripture that are tensions, they are opposites, or they're extreme ends of some spectrum. Consider how many of those things are found in different parts of the Bible. And when people are trying to prove something, they will head over to their favorite verse, their key verse, and they'll ignore the fact that the Bible also contains this other verse. In this particular case, the verses are adjacent to each other. 
It's really hard to quote one without allowing anybody else to notice that the other one is right there. But in a lot of the Bible, when we're talking about faith and works, different parts of the Bible, justice and mercy, different parts of the Bible, sometimes they're, they're mingled near each other. But in a lot of cases, the key verse that we want is way over there. And the key verse that opposes it is somewhere else. Don't overlook nuance. When God provided the scriptures, it was provided with nuance. There are certain things in the Bible that are just always true and always should be seen in primarily one way. But there are other things in the Bible that you need to understand the context of those things before you go running with them, right? And this passage is a key point. Don't answer a fool according to his folly is what verse 4 says. Answer a fool according to his folly is, verse, is what verse 5 says. You, If you're not nuanced, then you have to do nothing, right? You're, if you're not going to apply nuance to this passage, if you're not going to look at what am I being taught here when I take both of these things into account, if you're not going to do that, you'll learn nothing. Because you're going to be in violation of one or the other. You're either going to ignore the fool and therefore not answer him according to his folly ever. Or you're going to engage the fool all the time. And therefore, you will be answering him according to his folly, running into a problem with the second verse, with, with the next verse. What does the Bible teach us about this? What do we see in the examples of scripture? How people handled certain circumstances? There are times where silence is the best option. It's not every time that you should say something. I had a very good mentor pastor. And one of the things I enjoyed about being with him, there was so much stuff to learn. You could learn from him by asking him direct questions, but you learned a lot just by observing how he operated. And one of the things he did when we were doing Bible studies, when he was holding a Bible study class, is sometimes someone would ask for an opportunity to speak and he would grant them that opportunity and they would say things, you know, it's not everyone who's asking questions. Sometimes people are presenting, Hey, I understand this, or, um, I'm in agreement with you. And then they say something that doesn't sound quite like agreement. But I noticed a number of times that people would say something and not just like one sentence here or there. Sometimes they'd get a good three paragraphs in. And the thing they were saying was, eh, you know, sketchy. And he would thank them for their contribution and move on like nothing had happened. And so one day when he was taking me home, I asked him about that. I was like, how come when sometimes when people say stuff that's not really on point, you don't, you don't um, say anything about it? And he says, I have to make a determination that something is going on. If a person brings up something and nobody else latches onto it and they just say whatever they're saying and no one latches onto it, I'm not going to draw more attention to it by countering anything. If that, that person already believes what they believe and the other people have either tuned them out, not paying attention to it, just waiting for, their turn, for that person's turn to pass, whatever those people are doing, so long as they're not accepting it, they don't look like they... They're not confused by it. They don't look like they're hanging on to it. I'm going to move on with the rest of the lesson. 
if they say something that's egregious enough or if they um, or if other people look like they're latching on and I need to cl- or need clarification and I need to elaborate, then I'll do that. But as long as they don't, I'm not going to sidetrack myself on purpose. And I thought, man, that is that is so wise because I was prone to correct everything like no falsehoods will be uttered on my watch. You know, that was my mentality. But I saw that he didn't do it. And I tried to gauge why that might be, but I had the opportunity to speak to him directly, and I asked him. In the plan of salvation, and as co-laborers together with God in whatever capacity, right? Because if we're believers, we are co-laborers together with God. In our capacity as co-laborers together with God, we have to keep in mind God's objective. Sometimes we get caught up in side quests, many missions. We have to pay attention to God's objective. God's objective is to present the gospel so that Christ is seen, understood, and accepted, and people can receive eternal life. Along the way, there's teaching, there's instructing, there's encouraging, there's exhorting, there's mentoring, discipling, correcting, disciplining, but the goal is always eternal life for you and for those that hear you. We have to be careful not to get caught up in proving things and solving things and answering questions at the expense of eternal life. I'm not saying that answering questions is never appropriate. I'm not saying that Solving problems, teaching doctrine. I'm not saying any of those things are not important, but those things are important in a context. They're important because they help us to understand the need for salvation, understand who we obtain salvation through, and grow to to understand and love him more. If that objective is not the objective, if you're getting caught up in just proving points and, and arguing knowledge, and it can be problematic. Because it's, it becomes a distraction from the, the objective, right? And again, nuance. I'm not saying that you never teach doctrine. I'm not saying that you never correct mistaken views. I'm not saying that you never oppose false doctrine. I'm saying remember the objective and make sure that you're doing those things that we just mentioned to the degree that it's necessary to end up in the right place. Right to the degree that it's necessary to end up in the right place. And if we do that, if we appreciate the nuance of the scriptures, if we appreciate that when we see something, we should try and understand it, even when it's the plainest thing, make sure that your understanding of it takes into account everything. What was God intending when it was originally sent? Who was it directed to? What were they going through that they received this information? How should we apply that to the current time? Understand, the Bible is a record of all of the things, not that ever happened, all of the things that happened that God wants you to know about because they either provide doctrinal information or example, precept or example. So why is this instruction important? Right? Why it's valid is because God gave it. But why is it important? 
That's also because God gave it, but what is he trying to get you to understand about it? How should I interpret it? Because some of the instruction that you're going to get is going to be in a form that doesn't make sense to you, meaning you will get instruction about agriculture. You're going to get instruction about certain things that don't apply to you in the same way today that they did when it was given to the original person. So how was it given to them? Why was it given to them? We live in an era of plenty information, but no nuance or or reduced, greatly reduced nuance. People don't have a nuanced view anymore. And it's really interesting. It creates so many problems because... What happens today is that we try to correct for mistakes in the past or perceived mistakes in the past, and we create new problems. Let me give you an example. From God's perspective, from the Bible's perspective, there are things that are good, there are things that are bad, and people do good and bad things. And the way that God looks at all of us is that every person has inherent value. We have inherent value by creation and redemption, right? Because God created us, we have value. And because because of that value and because of God's love for us, God saw the need to send his son to die for us, to redeem us. So we have value because we cost the life of God, the life of his son. Okay. But there's good and there's bad. When Christ looked at people in his earthly ministry, and even now, but in his earthly ministry, when Christ looked at people, he saw people who were worth something because of what he had done in creation and what he would do for them in redemption. And he saw things they did, some of which were okay things and some of which were bad things. And obviously, if if people do enough bad things for long enough, they're bad people. But even bad people have inherent value as humanity. And God sent his son to die to take away from those who will accept him the wickedness and take on his righteousness. Okay? So the Bible teaches us that people have inherent value. But those people may do and say things that are not good. And you can challenge the things that they say or do that are not good without undermining their humanity. In fact, the reason you're challenging it is because of the value of their humanity. But the world teaches us that people and what they do and say are intrinsically tied to them. So you can't question anything about what a person does or says, because then you're questioning the person. And if you question a person, you don't have value for that person. You don't see that person as being valuable. You're disrespecting that person. You're demeaning that person. And so it allows everything to be okay, because by definition, if someone is doing it or thinking it or saying it, then it's okay. They have a right to say or do or think how they want, and everyone else has to respect that. But that's not how God sees it, and that's not how the Christian can see it. The Christian has to see it the way God sees it. Otherwise, the Christian needs a different profession. So we've lost nuance. 
there's no good person, bad choices, good person, bad words, good person, bad thoughts. No, in modern society, good person, people are inherently good. Every now and then we'll decide that someone's inherently bad, but it tends to be that the people we consider bad are those who won't tolerate considering everyone else good, right? That's where we draw the line. As soon as someone is hateful towards a specific group of people, now that person's bad, but not because what they're doing is bad, but because they're denying my ability to do whatever I want. Very interesting. We've lost nuance in society. As a result, it makes it harder to understand the Bible. We live in a time of greater access to wisdom, well, knowledge, (laughs) greater access to wisdom is debatable. We live in a time of greater access to knowledge, to data, to information. And yet we can't understand what we need to. We don't know how to apply it. And the lack of nuance means that every argument you hear is the same. People are not arguing from a position of, okay, I have processed these thoughts and I understand this and this is how I see the world. Everything falls into one or two camps. Every bit of information, everybody takes on the same argument. And as soon as someone supports your argument, you're, you're in harmony with them on every point, which is ludicrous. Ludicrous. I should be able to agree with people in all the areas where we agree, which may not be 100% of area. It may be less than that. Don't overlook nuance. You need nuance to understand God's word. You need nuance to navigate this planet according to God's word. Don't overlook nuance. Don't get caught up by seeing something in the Bible and being unable to reconcile it to something that seems opposite because you can't understand when that you might have to apply a thing at a particular time or not. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Think carefully when you're dealing with a foolish person. If you drop to their level every single time, you'll be perceived as equivalent with them. It won't gain you anything because it is rare that the fool changes his or her opinion and the people around you won't be able to tell the difference between the two of you. So so sometimes you need to not interfere with the fool in that way. You need to heed that. Don't answer the fool according to his folly. But sometimes you do need to answer fool according to his folly. Lest he be wise in his own conceit. Sometimes you have to say, okay, let's take your premise. Let's, let's say that we agree with your premise for a moment. What does it do to X or Y or Z? Sometimes when the Pharisees came at Jesus, he asked them a question. Right? Sometimes he asked them a question very powerfully. Very effective to get them to think Sometimes he challenged them. And I'm going to look one up right now. I'm going to tell you this is one of my favorite ones. I just don't remember where it is. So I'm going to look at it. And David in spirit. I know what part of the verse says. There we go. Matthew 22. Thank you, Jesus, for remembering phrases. 
Matthew 22. So Jesus is dealing with these folks, and now we're in chapter 22 of Matthew. So you know we're coming close to the end of his ministry. Verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstools. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And look at what verse 46 says. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So you see, what did Jesus do? Most of the time, he either ignored the Pharisees when they tried to pull tricks on him, or he would present a parable to them, etc. But this time, they asked the question, so he took an opportunity to ask them a question. And it's not a trick question, right? It's tricky if you don't understand the scriptures properly, but it's not a trick question. He said to them, okay, what, does this, what did the scriptures tell you about Christ? Who is his father? And they're like, Christ comes from the lineage of, of David. Okay, great. So then how come David calls him Lord? And they're like, uh, right? In that case, he answered, the foolish Pharisees, according to their folly, and they had to concede that they were not wise, and they even stopped asking him any more questions for the duration of his ministry. Okay? Understand the scripture, understand where we apply these things and how we apply them, and recognize that that same kind of nuance is required as you go about day-to-day -day life. You're going to see people in situations that you agree with. Okay, so you agree with those situations. But just because you agree, if you hear Bob speaking about something and you happen to agree with Bob's premise on that thing, it doesn't mean that you must walk lockstep with, it doesn't mean that you must walk lockstep with Bob in everything. It just means that you have agreement in that area and you can disagree with Bob on a bunch of other topics. Just because you've agreed doesn't mean you're forced to agree in every respect with someone. Just because you disagree doesn't mean that it means anything negative about that person. You can totally disagree with a person's premise without disagreeing about the humanity of the person, without losing respect for the person. We need to be in a place where you can say, I hear what you said, but I don't happen to agree with that without it being disrespectful. Don't overlook nuance. It is essential to understanding the scriptures, and it is essential to navigating life. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness to us. We want to thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for the way that you've put the scriptures together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that 
allows us to have understanding of what we're reading. And we ask you, Lord, that we will look with a discerning eye, that we will recognize and appreciate the nuance in the scripture, and that we'll look around us for the nuance in the circumstances we come to deal with. Please bless us, Lord, be with all those who hear this, and may it be a blessing to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including the big four, Google, Apple, Spotify, Amazon. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.